Good morning. Wonderful to be with you. You can turn your Bibles to 1 John chapter 3, the first epistle of John, the third chapter. Next week we'll get back to our series preaching through 1 Peter. Yesterday, we all celebrated the grand reality that the Son of God became flesh and dwelt with us. This morning, we're going to consider another wonder of God that flows from that. It is that we who are born of flesh can actually be called children of God. And that's what the Apostle John speaks to us about uh, in these verses. 1 John 3, we're going to read verses 1 to 3. See what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he, Christ, appears, we shall be like him. Because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Our Heavenly Father, we ask that this grand reality would settle into our souls and take root that all that you intend us to understand and to feel, what you intend to come from our lives because of this reality of our connection to you, that you would settle it in us, give us assurance and encouragement, that you would also give us grace as we see to live this way. Lord, if there is anyone here who has not yet committed themselves to you to be a true child of God, that you would fully open their heart and eyes and that you would bring them faith to believe and know you this very day. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. What does it mean that we are called children of God? How should that impact us. And there are three things I want to bring up to us this morning. The first is, child of God, be secure in how God sees you. The way that God looks at you should establish security and confidence in our hearts about that relationship with him. Our identity as God's children should amaze us. And that was the Apostle John's intention. That is how he words it. He says in verse 1, Do you see 
what kind of love God has for you. It is such a love that you are considered his children. Why so amazed? Because in in the world, people actually think that that's true of everyone and, and take it without any amazement at all. Oh, we're all God's children. As though it's something that should be the most natural thing in the world. But the thought of being God's child should amaze us for two reasons. The first is the sheer majesty of God. Those who too easily just assume, well, of course we're God's children, have not grasped the wonder of this almighty, eternal God. How could creatures formed from the dust of the earth be children of the almighty, eternal God? Every time we think of it, we should be freshly astonished. There is another reason why we should be amazed that God would refer to us this way, and that is because we are rebels against him. We've been resistant to his word, antagonistic to his rule, and so rightly under the judgment of God. Indeed, listen to how the Bible describes what our natural relationship with God is because of our sin. This is in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3. We all, so all of us are included together. We all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That is how all of us enter this world because of our sinfulness. We have set our hearts against God and the righteous holy God must set his judgment against us. That we who lived in open rebellion against God could now have this relationship, could actually confidently call ourselves children of God, it is beyond any reasonable consideration. But the gospel is not reasonable. The gospel is gracious. God has not dealt with us in a reasonable way. God has dealt with us in a way filled with love and grace beyond any reasonable consideration. For the gospel is God bursting into the world in our flesh, with our nature, bearing our guilt, shedding his blood, setting us free, making us whole, and yes, even adopting us 
to be his very children. Even the word adoption shows that it's not natural for sinful beings to be in God's family. That's why the Bible uses over and over the the language of adoption. Adoption is this wonderful action that people take to bring someone without parents into their love and their home and their care. It is something they do. It was not forced upon them. It came out of their hearts, and that's the picture we're given of God toward us. And there are wondrous implications of that, that we are adopted as children. First, it shows God's desire for us, that he would want us not just to be in his kingdom, that God in in love and mercy saw humanity whom he created, and in love and grace he rescued us out of our sin, out of judgment, and, and allowed us to be citizens in his kingdom. As wondrous as that is, that was not enough for God. He wasn't satisfied for us to be citizens of his kingdom. God was not content until we were part of his family. Adoption shows God's commitment of the initiation he took. He made it happen. You cannot adopt yourself. You can't make a family adopt you. The family comes to you. And thirdly, as as John declares, it shows God's extravagant love. Look again in verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. The phrase, what kind of love, in the original language, the literal translation would be, see what country or see what race, meaning what kind of love. It's something outside of what we experience. It is something beyond us. So as if from another world, from another race, something transcended what we've experienced, meaning this is Alien love, otherworldly love. See what kind of love? It is love that you don't see among your people. It is a love you have never known in your race, in your country, in your family. See what kind of alien, foreign love that God would adopt you as his child. It is the greatest expression of love that can exist anywhere. This identity as God's children should make us 
completely secure in our relationship with him. Because this is how God thinks of us. It's, we did not just call ourselves children of God. Like someone just looking at the, the biggest house in the block and a kid saying, I'd rather live there. March in, hi mom and dad, what's for dinner? Where's my room? We're not barging in on God. God has said, this is your home. I am your father. If that's how God has chosen to and expressed to us, wants us to know that we honor him by living as his children, by believing it, by taking the full security and confidence, we belong where he is. We're not saying we earn it. We're not saying we deserve it. We're saying we truly belong. I know at times when I have been greatly discouraged by a a sin that's reoccurred and our minds thinking of how lousy we are, how we don't deserve God, and we want to pull away, and the Spirit and His grace brings my mind, no, I belong where God is. By, by the blood of Jesus, I belong where God is. That is our home. We must never project the world's changeability upon God. That people will one day treat us one day, one way, and one day they'll treat us another. Or we aren't on our best and people pull back. God does not change his heart toward us. Ever. His one heart toward us, the heart that comes through the blood of Jesus to receive us fully. For as 2 Timothy 2.13 tells us, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. If we are faithless, he remains remains faithful for it goes on to say he cannot deny himself. And that statement's not given to excuse our being faithless. It's given to encourage us, come home. Don't run off, don't pull away. Stay where you belong. Look to him. Renew your heart, renew your actions. But God's faithfulness flows out of his character. It doesn't flow out of your character. It flows out of his. And it's kept by Jesus' finished work, not by your great works. God, who has eternally known you, He knows every crevice of your life, your actions, your attitudes. Yet, 
he chose to make you his child. And as verse 1 says, and so you are. God cannot look upon his children without having joy and affection. And he wants you to be convinced of that. God wants you to believe what's in his heart. God wants you to believe what he has done, what he thinks. He wants you to believe that you are his child, that you are his beloved, that in Christ we belong with him. This security is meant to be our source of stability in a world filled with instability and uncertainty. How's life going to work out? What is going to happen with what's going on? I'm projecting how what's going on may turn out and we start to feel the ground becomes unstable and But we look again to Christ and we realize we are stable and secure because we are in his hand. What what place of stability could you be in greater than the hand of God? What place is more assuring of how will things turn out than to be in his hand? That somehow you just having more money, more friends, influence, all of that is going to make your life more stable than the hand of God itself? How could that be? Or you're looking at those around on social media and life seems so wonderful for them because most people don't, people don't put up pictures of themselves when they first get out of bed. I've posted pictures and go, wait a minute, I don't want that one. Delete. As you scroll through all the, oh, that one looks good to me. I'll use that one. People, they don't use pictures of themselves with their hair sticking up or, you know, with a crazy look in their face. They're not sharing. Yeah, I was an idiot today, once again. We look and think, my, my life is not like everyone else's. Why is life not good for me? As we look at who we are in Christ, we're reminded, what is better than to be a child of God? What could be better than to be the beloved of God? Our Father's love supersedes all of our flaws. Later today, three grandchildren will burst into our home. Now, I can already tell you, there will be, over the course of this week, meltdowns. At some point during the opening of gifts, great selfishness will be expressed. (laughs) I wanted that! Why did I wanted that? There, I'm expecting real fights. 
blows will be cast. People will hit the ground. Tears will flow. And throughout the week, there will be these little ones living with complete entitlement that all of us will bow our lives before them. All of my experience so far with them tells me this is what will happen. And I can't wait for them to get here. My love is not for their maturity or their perfection. My love blows out of my heart because they're mine. And that's how God thinks of you. You're his. Does he want you to be mature? Yes. Does he want you to stop fighting? Yes. But you're his. And he loves you that way. So child of God, be secure in how God sees you. And then be captivated. Secondly, be captivated by where God is taking you. As amazed as we should be at the thought of being children of God, there is much more. Verse two, beloved, we're God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. And if anyone said this, you would say they're heretics. How could you declare such a thing except the Bible says it? And we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. How do you put into words this this magnitude, this wonder that we will be like Jesus himself. Not gods, as the Mormons say. Jesus and Satan are both gods and we all will become gods like them. Jesus, God in flesh. Jesus, the man who loves the Father with all that he is, we will be like him. We will love God with all that is within us. We will be faithful with all that is within us. That is an unstoppable reality for everyone in Christ. Who would have dared to hope that? Can you imagine being in a small group if this wasn't in the Bible? And someone, a new Christian, just starts talking about, yeah, I, I really think I'm going to be like Jesus someday. I'm going to love God just like Jesus did. And you would take him aside afterward. What? Love your enthusiasm. But just let's be careful here. Don't you dare think that you will ever be at the level where you love God as much as Jesus. The Bible says, yes, you all will. Because God wants us to be a perfect family together forever. 
God created humanity perfect in the garden. Sin not only broke the relationship with him, it corrupted our nature, but Jesus, the second Adam, and the perfect Son of God takes our guilt, gives us a new holy nature, and though we struggle to grow and mature in it, God is committed to completing us. The Spirit of God will complete his work in you. God has not given up on his plan. Our sin has not taken the plan of God, wrenched it off its foundation, cast it aside, so God is making some plan B. God made humanity to be his with him in a perfect place, we with perfect hearts loving him forever, and God will have his way. There will be a perfect garden, and there will be a perfect people who will walk with him in love. Believer, you're not someone whom God is merely up there hoping it's going to work out. God is committed to it through the blood of his own son. You're his child forever. We are on a trajectory of astonishing significance. And it cannot fall short. It cannot fall short. Which is the encouragement we speak to our own soul. And it's the encouragement you speak to your soul, not only about yourself, but about the believers that annoy you. For they too will be perfected like Christ. Your soul yearns for grand purpose. Even if you don't think it's possible, you want your life to be purposeful. And here it is. The Spirit of God making you like Jesus. Now that is a life of purpose. You representing Jesus. That is grand purpose. And the last thing to share about the significance of being a child of God in verse 3. Child of God, not only be secured, not only be captivated by what God is doing, be wholehearted in what God calls you to be. When we believe what, what is proclaimed in verses 1 and 2 that we are the children of God, that we will be made like Christ if we truly believe those things and they are true of us because the Spirit of God does dwell in us. We are supernaturally changed. If all that is true, then verse three takes place. And everyone, everyone a child of God, everyone in Christ who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure or as we saw in 1 Peter, because he is holy, we will be holy. God is serious when he calls us his children. And God is serious when he says, we are to be pure as he is pure. 
Don't miss the all-inclusive language. Everyone who hopes in him. Everyone truly, your hope is in Christ. Everyone who is a child, everyone who has had the guilt of their sins removed, everyone in whom the Spirit dwells, everyone seeks to be pure as he is pure. Now, God's realistic in this. In Psalm 104, it says, He knows our frame. He remembers that we're but but dust. God doesn't have any false expectations about how you're to do this. And God doesn't expect you to take the tiniest baby step on your own. God doesn't expect you to ever obey him in anything on your own. Not one time. It is all by the Spirit of God who dwells in us. So he can see you're just weak dust. And he can see and you will be like Jesus. Because the Spirit of God is who makes that true and real. God expects his children to carry his DNA, that of his character. And that together we would live in harmony as those who share his DNA of character. If we don't act like his children, we will be acting like someone's children. Who might that be? We don't have to wonder. Drop down in this chapter just a few verses. 1 John 3, verse 7. And he he says it directly to us. Little children, you who are children of God, let no one deceive you. Let no one manipulate how you're thinking. Let no one trick you. Whoever practices righteousness, is righteous. Just as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Christ came to destroy sinfulness. Not just to make sinners feel better about themselves, but to destroy and remove all sinfulness that we might be righteous. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning for God's seed, meaning we are born again, abides in us, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident Who are the children of God? And who are the children of the devil? Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Nor is the one who does not love his brother. I was talking to one of the men of our church who was working on the road a lot. He would mention he would meet someone and in conversation talking about the gospel, the person would say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. But then as the weeks go by, when they, they get drunk and they're cheating on their wife and they're 
acting dishonestly, and he said, well, wait a minute, you're saying you're a Christian, and this is not how a Christian, oh, you don't know my heart, you don't know me. Guess what? The Bible says God knows you. God knows you. We, we stumble, and all we have to do is look at what the Bible shows us of godly people. David, Moses, Noah, godly people doing some terrible things. But what is the intention of your heart? And if we say we're a child and sin is pointed out, we say, oh, I'm fine with God, God's fine with me, or how dare you... When we not only stay in sin, but we, we deflect and try to protect and defend our staying in sin, we need to pull back and look what Scripture says and ask, are, are you a Christian? What does that mean? How did you become a Christian? Who are you trusting in? Why do you think God's not going to judge you. Is the blood of Jesus covering you? And those born of God do not make a practice of going on in sin. Well, how many times do you have to sin or not? We're not talking about numbers of sin, as if you could ever keep track of that. We're talking of attention of the heart, the willingness. I don't care, I'm going to do it. The comfortability about knowing what's sinful and forgetting and rejecting God. Staying in it. I'm not leaving it. Verse 7 warns about deception. The deception that we would think that we just pray a prayer or think we're a Christian and we're fine. As wonderful the news of the gospel is, it is wonderful because without the gospel, there is a different end. And that is the wrath of God against all sin. Those who make a practice of sinning are living as if they're Satan's household. And so when we do sin, even as believers, part of our quick exit from sin is realizing It does matter. And who it is we're imitating. We're imitating the great enemy of God. And if we truly love God to to think that we're imitating Satan, that'll make us run away from sin. Love for God is not up for us to define. God defines what love is. And the definition the scripture uses over and over, it really only gives us three definitions of love, of how do we know love. The one that's mentioned over and over again is we obey him. We love him, we obey him. The second is, and we love the other children. And the third is, and his law is not burdensome to us. Because we love him, we want to obey him. Those are the only evidences of love the Bible gives. Obey God, love his children, and we love to do what he asks us to do. There are two lies, and we'll end with this. There are two lies that distort 
how we live as children of God. The first lie is that living wholehearted for God is burdensome. This lie denies the goodness of God. That somehow less of God is going to be better for our life. (laughs) Your choices of what you want to do and what you think are good, your choices will never be better for you than what God's word says. Never. Giving ourselves wholly to God means less of life is a great, great lie. It's a lie against the character and the goodness of God. How could anything less than more of God in our heart be better? The second lie, living wholehearted for God, well, it would be wonderful, it's just not realistic. That lie is against the faithfulness of God. Denying that he will not be with you and enable you. It's a lie against the Holy Spirit, that he is not in us, that he will not enable us. Before you're adopted by God, verse 9 says you are born of God. The seed of God, a new nature, abides in you. Living wholeheartedly for God is a real thing. It's something that can increasingly be true. It can be not the complete description of our life, but it can be general and accurate. Yes, that's someone, as the Bible says of David, who was guilty of adultery and having someone murdered. A man who, his whole heart, a man who did some terrible things, but at the end, his whole heart was for God. Believer, live in the wondrous joy of being God's child because it is forever the truth of who you are. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we praise you for this great truth that you have given us, that you have given us to understand this this is who we are. This is how you think of us. It's how we are to think of ourselves. Give us grace just to be, let this seep into our souls and rejoice in it. And also, may we be clear-eyed at what it means How do your children live? What do your children value? Lord, we ask that we would all be living by it because we ask that by your grace that each one here would be, by spiritual birth, by commitment to Christ, each one here would be a child of God. In his name we pray. Amen.